Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 89 of the Mandolin's Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Man, on Sunday night, I got an incredible text. I found out my band is opening for the Sam Bush Band tomorrow, April 29th, in Charleston, South Carolina. To say I am stoked is an understatement. Oh my gosh, I, 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 I can't believe it. This is, this is so cool. So if you're in Charleston and you're coming to the show or if you're at the show, say hello. Um, yeah, I'm, gosh, I'm so excited. We start at 7 o'clock, 7 to 7.45. We'll be doing a lot of originals and, um, and a couple a couple choice covers. So let me know if you're in town. I'll, I'll post about it and update you all next week. I'm just I'm so excited. So I'm also really excited to announce a new sponsor this week, Straight Up Strings. Um, Roger Simonoff was a guest a few weeks ago on the podcast, and it was one of the most popular episodes that I've done thus far. He's he's a great guest and he's gone through so much and just the lore stuff, but he also touched on these strings here. And um, first off, I would go to straightupstrings.com to look up the information on the strings because the science behind it is incredible. And while I won't really be able to describe it nearly as good as what it is, if you look at your bridge and you look at your strings, you'll notice that the E string and the G string are over posts and the A string and the D string are not over posts. So that affects the way the strings vibrate to the belly. I believe I'm saying that right. You need to check them out. I had a set of them put on just recently. And when you, I guess the best thing I can say is when you strum a chord, it's like when you play like a G chord, it's like you can hear all the, all the notes of the chord pop out when you're playing, which is pretty incredible. So you, sh- you should try them yourself. I mean, Tristan Scroggins uh, uses them. CJ Lewandowski, that dude's mandolin arsenal is insane and if he's stringing them up with these strings then they must be good so i highly recommend you go to do it and if you um you can buy them from the website and if you buy them in a six pack you save almost 10 bucks so welcome to straight up strings thanks so much also peghead nation peghead nation they got the greatest streaming video courses for mandolin guitar banjo fiddle dobro ukulele and bass out there that in my opinion you're gonna find you can learn bluegrass old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. The lineup, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning. You can't really get any better than that. It goes from beginner to advanced, uh, Monroe style to the chord melody to theory. So, and if you want to try it for free, just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MandolinBeer at checkout. That's MandolinBeer, all one word. Ear Trumpet Labs. They are hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Also, follow them on Instagram. They have a great Instagram. Speaking of great Instagrams, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And again, if you follow their Instagram, they kind of take pictures and announce when they have some limited edition things that sell really, really quickly. Uh, And you'll find out ahead of time if you follow their Instagram. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Speaking of Austin, Texas, my buddy Kim Warner's been doing some sweet live streams from there. Uh, on Thursday night, so be sure to check that out. Hey, Kim, if you're listening, I watched in last week. It was great. I'd watch this week, but hey, I'm playing. I'm opening for Sam Bush. Did I mention that at the beginning? I can't even tell you how excited I am. Man, let's get into this episode with Dylan McCarthy. First off, if you don't follow Dylan McCarthy on Instagram, pause this podcast, 
get to someplace safe if you're driving and follow him on Instagram. There's so many cool guitar players out there. There's hundreds of them, maybe thousands probably, actually, if you really researched it, that have people who just post killer playing in snippets on Instagram. And Dylan does that, man. He transcribes these solos and kickoffs and posts them. They, they sound great, and he plays great. And he's launching a Patreon page, which should be live Sunday or Monday. I have a link at mandolinsandbeer.com. Uh, for that, but I think that's super exciting. Uh, his stuff always inspires me to 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 play mandolin, and he's got an album that came out too. And I played a song from it when it when it was first coming out, and the song or the album is called Lost and Found, and it's fantastic. Um, I remember seeing it featured on the front page of the cafe, and and Dylan sent me a copy, and it's 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 wonderful. So follow him on Instagram. One buy that album number two Sunday or Monday. Sign up for Patreon. Let's talk to Dylan McCarthy, everybody. Have a great week. Cheers. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Dylan McCarthy. Dylan, how is it going, buddy? Doing great, man. I'm really excited to be here. It's an honor to uh, be on the podcast. Oh, man, thank you. It's an honor to have you. I um, I got to say, you know, there's a lot of guitar content on Instagram that, um, you know, for people, like a lot of players out there, but there's not that many people that post, like, really cool content for mandolin. And you do a great job of when you work out solos and then play them, they're just, it's always inspiring to me. Like every time you post one of those videos, it makes me want to play, which is like the highest compliment I think I can pay to a mandolin player. It just inspires me to want to, to work. <laughs> wow. That, yeah, that's great, man. Thanks so much. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, for better or worse, just with everything going on this past year, I've kind of dialed in my Instagram game a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smart. Now, this leads to kind of kind of why I had reached out to you is because I saw you were getting ready to do a Patreon, which is going to be, this is going to air this Wednesday, uh, the 28th of April, and your Patreon is going to be going live Sunday or Monday of this upcoming weekend, beginning of next week. Um, I think your Patreon, your Patreon is going to be killer. So I'd love for you to maybe uh, talk a little bit about what's what's going to be on there and and what people can expect. Because the minute I saw it, I'm like, oh, now yeah, this is a guy who needed a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny you say that. Just like uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything, that seemed like a a good move for a lot of musicians was kind of the shift to the Patreon, and it seemed to work out really well for people. And I. Uh, you know, thought about it early on and, you know, my wife and family kind of encouraging me to do it. And I was just always kind of thinking like, what would that look like for me? Like, what can I offer that's not already being offered at like a really high level from other people? And so, um, but truth be told, you know, so the, the, uh, the Patreon kind of the idea behind it is just to give people access to the transcriptions of these solos that I try to do on a weekly basis. So like at some point during the pandemic, kind of as more of a self-motivator, I decided I was like, I'm going to try to do, cause I've always, you know, all transcribing solos has always been like kind of a big part of me learning the mandolin and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to try to do it every week. And so I'd pick like a solo that I really like and transcribe it and then try to play it and put it on Instagram. And with, you know, 
Patreon was never in my mind at the beginning of that, but I started to kind of accumulate like a collection of these solos that I thought were really cool. And, um, at a certain point I kind of just dawned on me that it'd be great to just give people the option to access these if they want it. So essentially, and I may, you know, you, you do Patreon, so this is totally new for me. So, um, I'm still kind of figuring it out, but, um, I, right now all that's going to be offered is just you get access to basically a backlog of 15 to 20 of the transcriptions I've already done and posted. Like if you've seen any of the stuff that I do on Instagram and then because I do one a week, you'll get four new ones every month. That's great. And yeah, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the solos just for people listening? I mean, I just, you've done so many good ones. And again, these aren't like, these are, these are some pretty tough solos. Like it would, it would probably aid some people to have transcriptions to some of these solos as opposed to just sitting down and like gutting them out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, there's just so much cool stuff you can pull out of like the playing of, of your heroes and whatnot. And even if you don't sit down and be like, I'm going to play, I'm going to learn this solo and play it and get it up to tempo and like execute the entire thing even just looking at it and pulling out little bits and being like oh man this lick is awesome and just pulling that little part and trying to integrate it into your playing and maybe trying it in different keys and stuff um i just think there's so much you can get from that so but yeah i, I don't know i guess i'm kind of looking at my list right now but i've got um you know a dan Tominsky solo for my sweet blue-eyed darling from uh the Lonesome River Band album, Carrying the Tradition. That's like a really cool solo that I like a lot. Um, I recently did John Reichman's solo for Nesser. So his, his tune, Nesser. Um, which is on Up in the Woods. I tend to learn John Reichman melodies more than I do his solos. So um, looking at what he plays for his break was pretty cool. And um, see what else we got. Uh, and I got so like a handful of kickoffs also. So I have um, like Tim O'Brien's kickoff for Blue Knight from like that first Hot Rise album and some other stuff. So I kind of, you know, I try to pick solos that I like, but also from a lot of different players and uh, kind of different styles across the bluegrass spectrum. So you can kind of, I don't know, get different ideas. You know, you're going to, you're hear something vastly different than you'll hear something vastly different from someone like Adam Steffi than you would from like, you know, Mike Compton or something like that. The cool thing about these solos and when you have like the transcriptions broken down too is, you know, if you're having a hard time with, hard time with it there's nothing better than just taking it bar by bar and if you have to just sit there and play a bar over and over and over again just you know with a slow metronome 
you'd be surprised how fast like you get that under your fingers like that muscle memory is amazing <laughs> you know suddenly it's yeah. just there absolutely yeah and i you know i try my best to um you know as you know get these solos worked up to tempo and play them but a that doesn't always happen i have at least <laughs> i have at least one or two transcriptions that i have yet to be able to execute and um it also like man, I'm almost never starting any faster than 50% when I start working on one of these things. And it's just a very, very gradual increase to see if I can get it up to 100. I do the same thing. And I'm always surprised at some of the songs that seem like they would be easier because maybe they're slower tempos are a lot harder because it's you're trying to nail the feel of those things and the little nuances. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, I mean, the feel thing is huge, especially when you start looking at um, solos from you know all kinds of different players like you might see a similar passage or something but you know like if, if you're trying to do a sam bush solo or something like that if you're not hitting that really hard swing like you're just it's not going to sound right you know right so you found your you kind of found yourself in the mandolin world a little bit differently than than some people you went to berkeley but you didn't go to berkeley for mandolin yes that's right um yeah i attended <laughs> i say attended berkeley because i did not graduate but i attended berkeley for electric bass wow um yeah so i don't know i mean it's kind of a long story but i guess that's, yeah man that's kind of what, kind of what we're here for absolutely but, um, yeah so i started playing music when i was seven and i started just playing piano and i actually asked my parents i was like I want to play piano. Can I have piano lessons? And they were like, yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, I, my parents aren't musicians, but I do tell people that I grew up in a musical household because my parents are both like great appreciators of music and they were constantly playing music. Like all still to this day, my dad never doesn't have the radio on like, it's always on. There's always some kind of music there. Um, so I heard a ton of music growing up, but none of it was bluegrass. Like my, you know, my parents only now are aware of any bluegrass music via me. So um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hear any of that stuff growing up. It was just kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know. I wouldn't call it pop music, but like popular music of that time. Like, I guess kind of dating myself but i remember hearing blues traveler on the radio like a lot sure so, <laughs> kind of kind of that kind of thing so where'd you grow up i grew up in uh boulder colorado oh, okay so you're, you're from colorado originally yep from colorado originally lived here pretty much well i've lived here my whole life except for when i was in boston um at berkeley and so yeah i started on piano and then when i was around 10 i started playing my mom had a guitar that was laying around i started playing that and i had lost interest in piano and thought guitar was cool and um so i was playing that and it was like when i was 13 i think was the first time that i played i guess i kind of transitioned to bass at that point somehow although I don't exactly remember how, but <laughs> it, was, it was the first time that I played with a drummer and a guitar player. And that was like the explosive moment for me where I was like, Whoa, like music is awesome. This is killer. I love this. So, 
that was I was like 13 and I think I was about to start high school like the following year. So all through high school I played bass in a rock band and we we played a lot and we were, you know, still really good friends with the guitar player. He's actually it's funny enough we're both in the bluegrass world now. He's he is now playing dobro with the Wooks. Oh, get out of here. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah, his name's Alan Cook and uh we yeah, we were he was the guitar player in our high school band and I played bass. And um uh, we gigged a lot and like we were really into it and it was really fun. And so by the time I was graduating high school and was thinking about about uh, going to music school, I hadn't even, you know, bluegrass hadn't even really entered my world. So I had already auditioned for Berkeley. Like, so basically what happened is I auditioned for Berkeley February of, I want to say 2011 or something like that on bass. And then it was that summer that my brother was like, Hey man, you should come with me to Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Yeah. And he had been going for many years at that point. And I was like, man, I don't like bluegrass. <laughs> he was like, yeah. And he, uh, he said, it doesn't matter. It's, it's super fun. You're going to have a great time. And I said, okay, cool. Let's go. And I, I remember I brought my guitar and I thought I was a pretty good musician. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to try like doing some jamming. Just got pummeled trying to play guitar in the jams. <laughs> and I remember everybody's been there, by the way, that's why I'm laughing. I've been there. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 100%. And I, I immediately gave up on guitar. Like that moment, I was like, you know what? Bluegrass guitar is impossible. Like I, I don't even understand how anyone can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do one of these other instruments. And so anyway, I was at the festival and it was that weekend where I was just like listening to all this music that I hadn't heard and just loving it. I was like, this is so great. Like, I, I can't believe that like I haven't been exposed to this world yet. And um, by the end of the festival, yeah, I was kind of keeping my eye out. I was like, man, I, I can't do guitar. I'm going to try one of these other instruments out. And so I was watching <clears throat> a band and I remember it was raining. I didn't know who I was watching. I mean, I pretty much didn't know who I was watching the entire time, but I didn't know who I was, who I was watching. And, uh, this mandolin player just kind of like freaked me out. And I was like, man, he's getting such awesome sounds out of that. And that was kind of when I decided like, I want to try mandolin. And then, you know, I've come to find out later with the punch brothers. Ah. So <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I, uh, I got hooked by feely, what, which I think, you know, a lot of, you know, the younger people do, but I did unbeknownst to me at the time, it was Thiele that did it all. So, uh, yeah, to kind of, to kind of bring it back around to your question, um, when I auditioned for Berkeley on bass, you know, it was definitely my strongest instrument at the time. And I hadn't even thought about a mandolin at that point. And then by the time I was actually going to Berkeley, I was like starting to, really dive into the mandolin so it was kind of an interesting time i was you know in my classes and in my ensembles i was playing bass and then i would come back at night and i would take my mandolin down to the practice room and i would you know try to figure out what was going on with that who were the uh were, were there some some of the uh mandolin players that we'd know going at the same time that maybe you got to see wandering around or playing local gigs at the time 
You know, so I was I was at Berkeley for two semesters. It was just one year, and I was not like I wasn't a part of the American Roots program or anything like that because I was, you know, I was there for bass. So basically, I had a few buddies that were also kind of newly interested in bluegrass and we would just kind of hang out and try to figure it out together. So, um, you know, a handful of those guys are now, are you aware of a band called damn tall buildings? Yeah. 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 So those, that was basically like the guys that I hung out with and we were, you know, kind of new to the genre and we would just show each other stuff we were listening to and try to like, you know, figure out how to play red haired boy and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. But, uh, (laughs) To answer your question, no, man, I, I wasn't I wasn't like a part of the mandolin world at Berkeley at the time, unfortunately. Yeah. So you, you, you come back to Colorado and you just immerse yourself in the acoustic music world. Yeah, somewhat. I uh, yeah, I came back to Colorado and then I ended up, you know, finishing school here for marketing, which is I don't know. That's a whole another discussion that we don't need to get into. <laughs> That's for my marketing and beer podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll talk about it there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I came back and I was, you know, still wanting to be involved in music. I was still in school. I was kind of uh, doing a little bit of bluegrass, doing some other stuff, some folkier stuff. And then I actually, you know, looking back on it now, I kind of, I think outgrew my instrument a little bit because I had a I had a Morgan Monroe mandolin that was just a couple hundred bucks and I was really struggling with it like it wouldn't like the tuning the pegs were like breaking and it wouldn't stay in tune and like it was cracking and stuff and so for for a while there I kind of I put down the mandolin and I really focused on guitar for like a long time there's some videos on your website of you playing guitar and you're a killer guitar player man and singer. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks yeah, very much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like when I came back to Colorado and was kind of, um, you know, immersing myself deeper into bluegrass and kind of the scene around here, I was really hyper-focused on guitar for a while there. And it was actually my grandfather who came to me at a certain point and asked why I wasn't playing the mandolin anymore. And I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, the mandolin I have is just really, it's kind of an uphill battle to try to play and um, make it sound good. So I've just been playing guitar more. And he was like, well, as a graduation present, I'll get you a better mandolin. Kind of, uh, to, honestly, he was bribing me to graduate. He was like, if you graduate... <laughs> I'll get you a better mandolin. And I was like, all right, deal. And so, uh, yeah, that kind of is what spearheaded, um, me getting like way back into the mandolin. I got a Northfield after I graduated trying to think of when that might've been, might've been like 2016 or something like that. And that's when I, you know, I was still playing a lot of guitar, but I, my love for mandolin was kind of re revamped. And I, um, started going deep into it again who when you were when you were working on all the guitar stuff who were some of the guys you were listening to on guitar man you know that's a good question because i was actually thinking about that and how it plays into my mandolin playing but you know for me it was is tony rice man in a huge huge way so like i just 
and I still do. I love Tony Rice, and he was just a huge force for me in guitar playing, especially starting out, just like trying to figure out, um, you know, how it works and stuff. I think one of the first tunes I tried to learn on guitar was Gold Rush, and it was like his version of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I say tried to learn because it, yeah, it, it wasn't happening for a long time. It's still, you know, still doesn't happen half the time, but um yeah tony rice man was so huge for me with guitar playing but it's interesting to think about too because you know tony worked with so many amazing mandolin players and so like hearing all this tony rice stuff i'm also hearing like dog and i'm hearing sam bush and you know you got john reichman on uh still inside and uh you know doyle and in the bluegrass album band and skaggs and rice like i mean the list goes on so when i'm 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 kind of focusing on this guitar stuff, but I'm also hearing like so much incredible mandolin playing at the same time. Right. So then, who do you dig into? You you get the Northfield in 2016 ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, who? How do you? How do you approach it? Because between 2016 and 2019, uh, you, I mean, you win Rocky Grass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. that's a pretty short span. You know, I mean, I've had people on the show who were playing since they were four and one. You know. Rocky yeah. grass, you know, you, I mean, you were still playing, it's, you, you're still getting relative experience, but you know, it wasn't really your main focus for, for that part. So what were you doing in those three years that, you know, kind of helped facilitate that win? Yeah. I mean, so when I, I guess a couple of things come to mind, but when I got the North field, I, I started getting back into mandolin and one of the first guys that I was just really into had already been listening to, but, um, was just kind of like my mandolin idol was Adam Steffi. And so, um, I just listened to, you know, everything I could get my hands on of his, like his solo stuff is great. And also I'm, you know, the Alison Krauss records are amazing, obviously. trying to emulate like that that sound i wouldn't say that i was necessarily learning his licks note for note at the time but it was really important to me to try to play like in that really clean way that he does Mm -hmm. that was just the sound that i was really drawn to at the time from the mandolin i just liked when things you know all the notes were were right there you could hear everything and it was just real clean so um and i was just playing a lot with people at the time so you know i would go to as many jams as i can which out here in colorado we have a lot like um prior to the pandemic if you wanted to go to a bluegrass jam every night of the week i think you probably could that's so cool yeah there was just like such a big community around here and uh you know other players that i can kind of ask questions or, you know, watch what they're doing from across the circle. Um, so doing gigs and playing and, you know, to be totally honest with you, man, like 
the rocky grass win it was like i didn't win rocky grass and say to myself like yeah man i made it or something like that i was like i was like oh like i gotta get to work like <laughs> i like winning rocky grass was like lit like a huge fire for me it was like man that it was it was so great for many reasons but i i was like highly motivated after that i was like you know it kind of almost felt like the bottom of the mountain for me it was like a, it's time to to really step it up and um start taking my study even more seriously so when you when you knew you were gonna do like the rocky grass 2019 had you done had you done any of those mandolin competitions prior to that um i had done the guitar competition the year prior and then i did the guitar competition also the same year that i did mandolin but that was the first time that i had done that i'd entered for mandolin wow would you uh would you work up for the contest um so i did and this is this is what i did and i'm not necessarily advocating <laughs> that, other, that other people do it uh -huh. but people ask me i put my best two tunes in the first round so you know take it or leave it but um i kind of learned from doing guitar that if you save all the good stuff for the second round and then you don't make the second round then yeah <laughs> you uh you you know people don't get to hear that so um i put two of my stronger tunes in the first round and i did uh I did Big Sciota and Squirrel Hunters. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, and then for the second round, I did Chinkapin Hunting in D, kind of the prettier uh, one, and uh, Hangman's Reel. Oh, I love Hangman's Reel. Yeah, so I picked Hangman's Reel in particular because prior to, uh, earlier that year, I had done a UK tour with the band that I was playing with at the time called Thunder and Rain. And every night of that tour, which was about 21 days, we played Hangman's Reel in the set. And so I had over that period of time, like just kind of organically accumulated a bunch of different ideas for that tune. And so... Um, I also, I, I tell that to people when they ask me about the competition too, is, um, the more you can play the tunes that you want to do in the competition, um, just in kind of like a pressure free environment or whatever, uh, and just accumulate more and more ideas, different ways of navigating the A section, different ways of navigating the B section, the more you're going to have in your pocket when it times comes time to, uh, you know, compete. Did you play them solo or did you have a, an accompanist with you? No, I had an accompanist. Uh, my uh, my buddy Eric Wiggs played guitar. Oh, cool. It's got to help a little yeah. bit just having somebody you know up there <laughs> with you. Oh, yeah. Big time, man. It's I, you know, I saw I was at Rocky Grass. I think it was 
maybe it was two years prior, but when Ethan Satiawan played, and I remember he did the second round totally solo, and man, he killed it, but I was like, dude, it's like such an exposed environment to be playing <laughs> mandolin, and I was like, you know, congratulations to you for doing that, but I, I would be... Uh, I would be terrified yeah, to try that. My, my <laughs> palms are sweating just thinking about it right here, talking about it now. It was very impressive for sure. So, so, and this, you winning this Rocky Grassland kind of also leads to your, your album that, that you put out as well. Yeah, so um, I guess, yeah, that was sort of an instigator for that in some ways. I definitely, so after winning it, I was kind of, I had already was already playing mandolin basically full-time in this band Thunder and Rain for the past, I think at that point it had been maybe a year and a half. And so I was really identifying as being primarily a mandolin player, and I was already working really hard at it, but after winning... Um, I, I wanted to work harder and I also was like I said just identifying more as a mandolin player so I kind of I'd been wanting to do my own project anyways and I'd been working on writing tunes and I, I just wanted to put something out that was kind of um I don't know just showed people like who I am as a musician like what I am as a as a mandolin player but also um the kind of sounds that I like in terms of you know, what kind of tunes I like to play and how I like to play them and stuff. Yeah. Well, the album lost and found, by the way, if, if, if people don't have it, it is phenomenal, man. It is just so good. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. I'm, I'm really happy with how it came out. It was, you know, the type of thing where, uh, when, when I'm writing the melodies for these tunes and working on it, I can only kind of imagine in my head, what it what it might sound like with a whole band or what how an arrangement might go and so to like see that through and then um you know have have these recordings with the bands with those arrangements it's i'm really happy with how it came out so was were these guys that you had played with prior to or did you kind of put a group together to go into the studio yeah uh yes and yes so i uh, <laughs> it was it's all folks that I have played with around here in different contexts um, for a long time, but I did put them all together to do this project. So, um, you know, I kind of brought them all together to learn the tunes and we rehearsed a couple times and then just kind of went into the studio and did it. But they were all people that I played with a lot. Um, That guy I mentioned earlier, Eric Wiggs, he played guitar on lost and found and he also engineered it and so he is a good buddy of mine here and uh he um was he kind of was one of the one uh, one of the people that kind of pushed me to do the album in the first place but i had already played with him a lot so he he helped me with uh kind of 
piecing together the arrangements for the tunes and getting the rest of the band together and whatnot. I really love the um, the interplay that you guys have on the with like you and the fiddle player as well. There's some really great great parts that harmony parts that are worked out and they're just really beautiful sounding. They work wonderful together. Thank you, man. Yeah, I you know I might be biased, but uh, <laughs> I uh, fiddle and mandolin together is one of my favorite sounds. I just love like how similar they are, but how the mandolin kind of gives you more of that attack and then you have more of the sustain from the, the fiddle. I think even when they're just doubling the same melody, it's just such a great sound. The album really kind of, to me, it sounds like a bit of a combination of Matt Flinner and Andrew Marlin. I mean, that's the kind of like when I listen to it and actually in, in hindsight, maybe a little bit of Reichman in there too, because like the melodies are really pretty. I mean, they're, they're really thought out. It's not just, not every song is just a total burner, you know? Thank you, man. I mean, that's a, that's a huge compliment. I, you know, I think most listeners of this big fans of Flinner and, um, <laughs> and I, I love Andrew Marlin and yeah, Reichman can't really overstate how much of an inspiration he is for me. Just, just purely in being inspired to even try to start writing tunes. It was, it was mainly because of him. Wow. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And, and Mosquito kicks the album off and um, just, just a killer tune. Just uh, again, it's just your your tone is fantastic and it's a pretty upbeat tempo. And that's the, the, the type of things that like you maintain that great tone through that whole track, which is, again, it's it's pretty up tempo and it doesn't always happen. So any how'd you uh, how'd you come up with that tune? Uh, I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. So I wrote that tune at the time that I was kind of working on it. I was writing it specifically to put I was thinking I would it would be in the set with the band that I was playing with thunder and rain because I, I wanted us to have an instrumental that was high energy. So that was kind of, um, my first thought when I was working on that tune and yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It, it kind of, it took a few different forms. It had a different B part initially. And then I kind of went back and reworked it. And when I came up with the B part that it ended up having, I actually was on my front porch and while I was working on it, got stung by a mosquito. So <laughs> that's kind of where, where you get the title from. But um, yeah, man, it was also kind of, you know, one of my all time favorite records out there. And I think a lot of people would also share this sentiment is uh bail of Fleck drive. It's just like an endlessly inspiring album. And so in a way, mosquito is a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe an attempt at my own version of Whitewater a little bit, but also also with a little bit of a nod to it with the intro where, uh, you know, Whitewater kicks off with Bela, you know, playing, playing the melody and Sam's backing him up. And so I kind of did the inverse of that on Mosquito where uh, the mandolin's playing the melody and the banjo's doing some backup. You mentioned... Drive, you also kind of do a Bela Fleck. You, you're part of a Bela Fleck 
tribute band. Is that tribute band right? I'm not even. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's I think you would uh, qualify that as a tribute band. But <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a fun project, man. It's you know, it really just started as um, you know, just a group of musicians who just really love that music, and we kind of just joked around for a while that was like man it'd be really fun to try to see if we could just play down drive like just play every song on drive and so we ended up just getting a gig uh actually here in Lyons at oscar blues um just to kind of motivate us and give us a deadline to do it we're like let's let's just try this it'll be fun we love this album um and so we did and we we actually we played that gig at the end of 2019. So it wasn't that long before the pandemic. And then we, people really liked it. And uh, you know, people who like that album uh, really like that album. And so a lot of people came to see it, but a lot of people weren't able to able to make it for that show because I think we did it the day after Thanksgiving. So I just remember getting a lot of feedback from people being like, Oh, are you guys going to do that again? Because we didn't get a chance to see it the first time. And so, um, I don't know. I don't think we thought that we were going to do much more than just play the one show, but we were going to do a couple more in 2020 that didn't happen. And then we've got at least one, we're doing it at least once this year. And uh, yeah, man, it's just, you know, it's cool that people want to hear it, but it's also just fun for us to uh, study that music that we just, just means a lot to us. This is a great segue because it kind of leads into the Patreon and um, and studying music. And one of the things I really want to pick your brain about is, again, you do these inspirational Instagram videos that I'm like, man, I really worked that out well. What is the process you take when studying some of these solos or, or the or the Bela Fleck thing? What are some things that maybe you can impart to the listeners that would be like, well, this is what I do that really helps me? Because, you know, that's just sitting down to do it is is a struggle for for a lot of people, myself included, <laughs> you know? Sure. But, you know, once you, once you sit down, there's all different ways to, to, to do it. And you do it well, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your process. Thanks. Yeah. I So, you know, for me, it might sound obvious, but this all kind of starts with just really detailed listening. And so, um, you know, it's something I'm always harping on with my students, and I will I will always be a huge advocate for listening to music. Um, I think it's so, so important, especially if you want to play music, um, that you're listening to it. So, um, yeah, for something like the Bela Fleck or, or one of these solos I might be doing for, uh, Patreon or Instagram, it starts with, um, just listening very intently to that particular. So I guess if, if we're talking about Bela Fleck or something, just picking one song, um, <laughs> like for instance, on, uh, Slipstream is one of the songs that I play Sam solo. Like, I just play down his break because I just think it's so great.
it just it starts with just kind of zeroing in on the part that you want to look at so it's probably the solo and i don't start off by slowing it down i just kind of listen to the whole thing and uh get a feel for it and then i'll kind of slow down and start picking it apart and as far as transcribing goes i just kind of take a couple notes at a time and um write them down and then i kind of come back later and look at everything as a whole but i think really where it like comes together is when you start listening to like the fine details of like feel and tone production and like uh, is he playing do i think he's playing this note on an open string or a closed you know a closed note um that's the kind of stuff where I feel like you kind of start to get the magic when you try to get into their head of how, how they might be moving from one idea to the next or how they might be uh, positioning it on the fretboard and all that jazz. Do you have a set like practice schedule that you follow? Um, not exactly. I, I generally try to structure my practice around, um, a particular piece of material. So if I'm working on say, I don't know, something I was playing the other day, hope I get this title right. I think I'm pretty sure it's Opus 57, but it's the, uh, the Grisman tune that's in G minor. And so I was, I was just kind of playing that the other day. And so I'll structure my practice around what kind of devices or mechanics are applicable to that tune. So like, because it's in G minor, um, you know, I'll work on the tune, but the stuff that I might work on outside of that is just like, you know, G minor arpeggios or different ways of moving through a G minor scale. <clears throat> and, um, and you know, the, the other chords in that song that might be related. And so my, my practice is, it's not super structured. It's mostly, it's based around, you know, the piece of music that I'm, that I'm working on. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the hardest one thus far that you think that you've maybe haven't even learned it yet or haven't finished learning it yet, but what is, uh, What's the one that you're like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you, I, the solo from the Andy Leftwich solo on Shady Grove from the, from the Ricky Skaggs album. I've transcribed that and I, I, have yet to see any hope of me being able to execute. <laughs> so do that thing is uh, that kid is uh, well, kid guy. It's ridiculous. Uh, just how clean and fast he can play. <laughs> it's really crazy, man. And you know, so that's a great example right there. Like I wanted to learn that solo because I just wanted to understand what, like actually what pattern he was using to do those triplets because <clears throat> Uh, that triplet line in there is so cool. And so 
even though I can't play the, the solo at speed, I I can still look at that one little part and be like, okay, so this is how he does this triplet triplet line over, you know, um, kind of like a B minor pentatonic shape, and then I can mess around with my own ways of applying that to like, you know, maybe something in D major or, you know, a or different keys, but just understanding kind of like how he's making it function and like where he's putting the pull offs and whatnot. You can try different stuff, um, kind of in, in your own context. So I think, again, I would said it before, but there's a lot of value in looking at these solos, even if, even if you're not trying to play it at the blistering speed <laughs> you left, which is, do you, um, do you have like a big theory background? Um, somewhat. I mean, I, so my, my, the guy that I took lessons, I've only taken lessons in my life from, from my bass teacher in high school. And so he, he taught me a lot about just like how music works in general. And particularly, I remember him teaching me a lot about modes, which was kind of interesting to see how that came into play later on with playing the mandolin because I, um, because I already felt like a, a really strong understanding of modes prior to um, coming to guitar or mandolin. But he kind of just taught me about how music works in general. And then honestly, you know, just two semesters at Berkeley was like a big um, jump for me in terms of just understanding uh, theory and, you know, more harmonic theory stuff about how chords um, interact with each other and function and whatnot. It is, yeah, just I, you mentioned the learning a B minor and then playing it over D, which is like one of the easiest like things nobody really tells you until some some tells <laughs> like I just remember one time somebody saying like oh you know you can play in the E minor position in G and it's the same it's the same thing I'm like huh yeah <laughs> you know what I mean and it really makes you think of things differently on a song like boy if you want to get out of a rut just go to that relative minor in in if you're in a major or vice versa and and monkey around with some of those notes and it just adds a whole new realm of like oh <laughs> totally man yeah i remember figuring that out about d and b minor and feeling like it was it was like a cheat code or something <laughs> i was like no way yeah. <laughs> I, can play, I can just play d over b minor but yeah it's it's i think it's really useful and cool to try to take something you know a passage or something like that or uh, a technical idea and try to apply it to different situations try it like over a different chord um, or in a different position and see how you can use what you learn from that in in different contexts and that's a real easy one i mean in the grand scheme of things you know, once you figure yeah. that out, it's like a real easy way to try and freshen things up or to to kind of get us put your toe into the theory world, which is, I mean, it can be overwhelming for, I mean, uh, for me, for sure. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I mean, it, it certainly is for me, too. I mean, theory is a is a deep well that that has no bottom. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you can you can always keep going with that. I, I would call my my understanding of theory is like, I would say pretty moderate compared to, you know, how far you can go. But, um, yeah, like even, so like with that triplet thing with Andy, he's doing like, uh, I'll try to explain this, but like two pull offs on a string and then, 
and then that open string. So like if you're doing that on the D string, <clears throat> and even if it's over like a B minor, you might be playing like the F sharp and the E and then the D and you're just kind of doing two pull-offs in a row and hitting that open string. So you can use that kind of same device. Like if you bump that F sharp up to a G and then you're doing pull-offs from G to E to an open D, like that's something that could work over like a G chord or an E minor. So even just taking like a technical device and altering it a little bit, um, you can push it into a new context. And I think it's fun to explore with for sure. Oh man, definitely. Your bandmates love it when you do it live too. That's a, Oh that's a yeah. Name. Like <laughs> right into the mic. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about gear because I know you, you haven't, you had the Northfield, but I, I believe there's a, at least one or two more mandolins maybe in that, in that uh, world of, of gear there. Yeah. So the Northfield I had for a while and then I sold it recently to get my Kimball, which um, is awesome. I love it. It's a Kimball. It's the two point version, which he calls a model J or a J style. Um, this one's a new build. So I got it in December 2020. I think he had finished them pretty recently. Well, actually, I can look in here. The date is September 20th, I guess, is when it was maybe strung up. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I got it in December straight from Will, and I love it. So the my Kimball's kind of my main axe, and then I have my San Juan that was was the prize for Rocky Grass, and that's you know an F style. Um, built here in Colorado by actually a guy who was a good friend of me and of my wife and I prior to that competition, uh, Bobby Wintringham. He builds them just kind of on his own, um, in Dolores, Colorado. And it's really great mandolin. So those are, those are the two that I have right now that I'm lucky to have. They both sound great, man. That Kimball, I mean, holy cow. I mean, if for a brand new build too, <laughs> that thing is just, just a, just sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I really love it. And it's, you know, it, it kind of opened up nicely right away, but I think it's, it's still got more levels of opening up to do over time. And it's just got, I don't know. It's got like some extra horsepower behind it. It's, it's got a real nice low end and a woody sound and it just, it's, it makes, it makes playing the mandolin. I don't want to say easy because it's never that easy, but it makes it easier. <laughs> oh, that's great. Was there a reason yeah. to, did, have you just always like two points? Was there a reason why you went for that sort of style? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I really like, I like Will Kimball's two points to be honest, because <laughs> I like, I like that there it's a really understated two point. It's very, um, it's, much less severe than maybe kind of, you know, the almost like Gibson SG looking, um, right, right. and I, uh, yeah, I was interested in, in a Kimball mandolin. I wasn't partic, I wasn't like gunning for a two point necessarily, but when I got in touch with him, he's, he said, I had just finished, he just finished three, two points and he was working on three A's that were going to be ready soon. And so he kind of gave me, you know, the option of if I wanted the two point or the A. And so 
um, yeah, I hadn't necessarily, it wasn't something that I had anticipated, but because that's what he had, I was like, you know, this, and he had pictures. I was like, that thing's beautiful. I would, I'd love to have one of those two points. It's great. Super nice guy too. Oh yeah, man. He's great. What do you, uh, what do you string it up with and what kind of picks you use? Um, so I, let's see here. So for the longest time I was using the, is it the EXP 74 CM? Yeah. So now I'm using the XTs that they, that they replace those with. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always really liked, um, the custom mediums, um, the EXPs and, you know, I don't, I don't notice a huge difference between the XTs and those and, yeah, they work well for me. I kind of, I got, I have to use the coated. I, I really like the sound of the nickel bronze strings and they sound really nice on the Kimball, but I just, I kill them immediately. Yeah. So Dude, my sweat is just the worst. I, um, Lynn Dudenbostel told me I'm one of the few people whose sweat actually, I have EVOs on my Gibson and I went, I uh-huh. took it to him and I was like, Hey, I think it needs um, some fret work. And he's like, now, man, he's like, it's just your, he's like, the wear is between the strings. It's the, your sweat. He's like, just certain people have this chemistry. And um, he's like, under the strings, perfect. He's like, I haven't seen anybody wear EVO, EVOs out. He's like, the anywhere is actually just sweat from your finger. He's like, underneath, it's perfect. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's wow. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Got like battery acid coming yeah, out. Yeah, I'm like, great. That's my superpower. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> right, yeah. So how about picks? Yeah, so I um I use a Wigan and I'm I'm a little bit weird about it. I kind of um I kind of hack it down a little bit. So it's I use the big triangle like the TF uh one twenty, but I cut it down because I just feel like I can maneuver like if there's just a little bit less material, I can maneuver the pick a little bit better. Oh really? So yeah, so I, I kind of I I round a couple of the corners down and just make it smaller. And so that's what I've been using a lot. But I tell you what, man, I actually, so I ordered an Apollo because of your podcast. Dude, so great. Yeah. So I ordered, I think it was the K shape and it's the perfect shape. It looks exactly like how I shape my Wiggins, but it is totally my fault, but I got it. And it was just like, it's pretty small, just the entire thing. And so uh, Nick was super cool about it. I was like, man, I, I love this shape. I'm wondering if how you would feel about just doing this same shape, just a little bit bigger. And he was like, no problem. Send it back and I'll send you a new one. So I got a, another one coming and uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I liked the sound of, of it when I was playing with it. I just wanted a little bit more to hold on to. So um that is great. That is great customer service. Nick has, and actually the, the, the sponsorship, he just did it for a few weeks and I don't think this one is going to be one that's sponsored. So I can say this without it being a sponsorship thing. That dude's customer service is insane. I mean, Oh yeah. He, he's, he is doing an excellent job. hundred percent, man. I was, uh, you know, I felt bad because I, you know, he, he shows you the picture and it's like compared to a nickel or something. So you should know what size you're getting. And I just, (laughs) I got it and I was like, man, this thing is just a little bit too small. And I was, I, you know, I didn't want to send it back, but I was like, how do you feel about just making a little bigger size? And he was, he was very cool about it. So should be getting it 
I don't know, any day now, I think. What uh, what material did you get? Um, It's the casein. So oh, cool. I think yeah. it's the vintage gold, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of those, and I've got a couple of the uh, Peak, the P-E-E-K. And that's a really cool material too, man. It's very, it's similar to uh, the Wigan material, I think. Uh, and to me, in a sense, I'm sure it's some somebody out there who's got a chemistry background is gonna be like, uh, it is not similar. <laughs> <at all." laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. I'd love to try the Peak sometime. I'm sure at some point I'll be ordering one to try it out. Well, man. So let's get to we got the we get to the final two questions here. Um, and, the, and then the first question I'd like to ask you is if you had 10 minutes a day to recommend to somebody to play to get better, what would you work on today? Sure. Um, well, you know, I know we all we all want to play our mandolins, so th- this answer isn't necessarily for that. But I do think that uh, 10 minutes a day spent listening really intently is 10 minutes well spent. So I think there's really... Uh, I can't overstate how much you can learn from from really listening intently um, to music. But I also am a big believer, like in playing your mandolin every day. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I think one thing that could be cool to do for ten minutes a day is to just try try as best you can to be as musical as you can with whatever you decide to play. And so something that I've been trying lately is taking a a fiddle tune that maybe, you know, really well already and slowing it way down, but trying to play it, like trying to make it sound like something that someone would want to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) So taking it to a slow tempo to where you're like, man, this, this is, this feels really slow, but doing what you can to make it sound like music and something that someone would actually like want to listen to. So, you know, that means, uh, that might mean tone production or working on just a really good rhythmic feel, um, dynamics, like, you know, maybe kind of pushing and pulling a little bit with where you might, uh, play something a little, a little bit louder, a little bit softer to give it some texture and just seeing how, how you can take something, that that you're really comfortable with and making it sound just as musical as you possibly can that's great now just a real quick thing when you when you mentioned listening uh, intently is there something in particular you're listening for when you're doing that um well it kind of depends i guess Uh, for one when i say listening intently i kind of in a broader sense, I'm differentiating between like active listening and passive listening. So, you know, passive is when maybe you're just, uh, you know, I don't know, driving in the car and there's something on in the background and you're hearing it, but you're not necessarily paying attention to it. And then active listening is just where you're, you know, you're kind of, you don't necessarily mean to be sitting down and doing nothing else, but your focus is on the music. And um, I don't know. It depends on on what you're listening for, I guess. But yeah, I try to zero in on. Well, I mean, I don't know. It depends. I, I at certain points, I might be trying to listen for the entire band's sound and how they're all creating like a big sound together. Um, but I might also zero in on just, you know, just what the mandolin's doing in a rhythmic sense in one part, um, or even 
you know, you can take multiple passes over a solo and listen to it for its for its rhythmic ideas and then listen to it for its tonal qualities and then listen to it for its, um, you know, note choice and stuff. And you can kind of come at it from a lot of different angles. So. Oh, that's great advice, man. Yeah, for sure. And then the final question is, do you have a favorite beer? Oh man, I, I have lots of beers that I enjoy. (laughs) You live in a great area for beer. I, man, there's, there's too much beer around here. It's crazy. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of unapologetically just kind of an IPA guy. I just, I like mostly just like really, you know, uh, kind of intense beers, like real, real hoppy, real bitter. Um, but man, there's just, there's so many that you could have around here, but to be honest, the one that I've had recently that was really great was uh, the Heady Topper. Oh, okay. Which, which I think is from Vermont, if I'm not mistaken. So, but uh, yeah, they this the liquor store right here in town in Lyons um, got their hands on some, and they don't have it anymore. I was like, "Are you going to get more?" And they said, "If we can, if we can get it, <laughs> if we, if <laughs> we can, <laughs> yeah." I think it's in pretty high demand. So, uh, but I tried it and it was really great. It's very good. And that was the IPA. Yeah, it's. I think it's kind of like a hazy style IPA, but it's really good. It does look like it's Vermont, and what a cool can. Yeah, no, and it's, it's it is Vermont, perfect. And it's real hard to find around here. It's probably hard here too. Yeah, it's it's if you have the chance to try it, it's worth a try for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to, de- oh, I'm not eligible in South Carolina. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. well. Plenty of beers, I guess, but still. <laughs> when you, in your travels, you'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dylan, this has been a great time talking with you, man. This is, a, a, again, I've been like a, a fan of your Instagram stuff, a fan of your, your, your album. When you send it to me, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, I'm excited to see that you have a Patreon coming out because, of, of you you've just got so much to offer in that thing and i think the anybody who's looking to learn some of these solos and wants to look at a transcription that's been worked out and by a person who's played it, it they can't really go wrong with yours so thanks yeah man i'm i'm hoping that uh people will find it useful because i've certainly learned a lot from uh kind of dissecting these different solos but yeah man i really i can't thank you enough for having me on. I got to tell you, I've been a fan of this podcast. I think when I started listening to it, there was maybe only five episodes out or something <laughs> like that. And it's just, you know, speaking of resources for us mandolin players, this podcast is just such a great resource. And having the ability to hear like our heroes talk about playing the mandolin and, and what they think about and what they enjoy is just huge for us. Thank you, man. Oh, thank you so much, dude. I really, really, really appreciate that. I can't tell you how much. Of course. All right. Thanks so much to Dylan for doing the podcast. Again, that Patreon should be live here Sunday or Monday, I believe you said. And you can get the link right at mandolinsandbeer.com. I also believe it's just patreon.com slash Dylan McCarthy. So thank you so much for listening in. And uh, cheers. You guys have yourself a great weekend. I'll tell you all about the Sam Bush gig next episode.